The Tom Woods Show, episode 1311. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here. Happy New Year. Back with the podcast once again. I've had a number of people saying they were they didn't know what to do during the time that I took off, but I had such a nice time. I took a couple of the kids on a trip and we did lots of fun things. So that was very good for me, for my mental health. And I'm coming back to this very much refreshed and ready to jump in to the new year. So what I thought I would do in this opening episode of 2019 is to look at a couple of issues that I think are important for this coming year, issues that are really coming to a head as the new year begins. And one of them is more or less domestic and the other one foreign. So we'll start with the domestic one. And I actually had a couple of things I want to talk about domestically. And I think just to keep the episodes manageable, I may hold off on the other one because the the tagline of the show that you hear in the outro portion with the music where the person says, uh, become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day, that resembles reality less and less with each passing episode. And I do want to have the occasional lengthy episode, but I do like the idea of a bite-sized half an hour to 40-minute episode to give you an overview of some important topic. So I would like to return to that. So I want to start off by saying something about what Dave Rubin and Jordan Peterson just announced Yesterday, New Year's Day, they released another video on the subject of Patreon. They'd already done this, but now they've come out with a video where they are giving January 15th as the day on which the two of them will leave Patreon. Now, I trust that most people listening know what Patreon is, but for those of you who may not, it's a platform online that people use as a way of generating financial support from the general public, from members of the general public who appreciate what they're doing. So artists of various kinds, obviously podcast hosts and a wide variety of other people use Patreon to generate support. And then in return at different donation levels, the content creator then very often will give the donor a little premium of some kind that increases with the amount of money donated. And it's a very nice little platform. I don't use it, as you know. I've always had my own platform, supportinglisteners.com. That's just my own platform. And as I've mentioned before, a lot of people hear supportinglisteners.com and they think it's a general platform for podcasters. Then they get there and they see it's just for the Tom Woods show and they're surprised. And I'll just tell you, I'm surprised supportinglisteners.com was available. But I nabbed that thing and I'm quite happy to have done so. So... The significant part of this, of course, is that Rubin and particularly Peterson generate an enormous amount of revenue on Patreon. Now, I don't think Peterson has been transparent about it. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, by the way, but he used to, it used to be very clear how much money he was pulling in per month on Patreon. And then he made that information private. And I do not blame him for that one single bit. The point is he generates a lot of money for Patreon and he generates a lot of money for himself through Patreon. So for him and for Dave Rubin, again, who funds much of his operation through the Patreon funds, to leave Patreon altogether is a bold thing. This is an extremely bold move 
by the two of them, and they really are putting their money where their mouths are. They really are living up to their stated principles. They really believe that the – I don't like using the word censorship when it doesn't have the state behind it, but you know what I mean when I say censorship. Yes, I know Patreon's a private company, and I know they can allow anybody they want to and disallow anybody they want to from their platform. Yeah, I know that. I do know that. But the point is that what you do in response to that on a free market is you can boycott or you can create your own platform. Uh, you don't have to say, well, Patreon's a private company, so I guess we just have to sit and take whatever they do. Who would think a libertarian was committed to that crazy opinion? Of course you can criticize what a private company does, and you can even start your own company and see if it's going to be any better. Now, what they are more vague on is what they envision as a replacement for Patreon. They've indicated that the two of them are working on something and that they'll have something for us in the relatively near future. But they acknowledge in this video that there are serious obstacles to overcome now that we see that PayPal and even the credit card companies are now turning into scolds. Uh, they're turning into your mom. Uh, not my mom. My, my mom would never do something like this. But you know, the kind of mom who monitors everything you say and do, suddenly credit card companies are doing this too. So Patreon, for example, said that it was MasterCard that pressured them to shut down Robert Spencer's account. Now, we're not talking about Richard Spencer, who's a different Spencer. We're talking about Robert Spencer, who runs the Jihad Watch website. Now, that website is very critical of Islam. He's not saying that there are only a bunch of radical Muslims who cause problems and, and who are engaged in terrorism. He's saying that, really, if you're going to be an observant Muslim, well, you know, there you're going to find that these are the views you have to hold, that so-called um, radical Islam really just is plain old Islam. That's his view. Now, you may disagree with that. You may think he's right on the money. Totally irrelevant. Could you imagine somebody criticizing Christianity and saying Christianity is responsible for so much of the violence in the world, that person being removed from a platform after pressure from MasterCard? Could you imagine people sitting around going, oh, ho-hum, you know, that seems like a sensible thing to do. So the double standard is just absurd. And I don't know exactly what Peterson's views of Islam are, but he would say that that's immaterial. Do we really want to live in a world where the credit card companies are going to be like little Sunday school teachers who punish and reward us? Well, they're not going to reward us, that's for sure. Just punishments, punishments alone. Is that the kind of world you want? And ultimately, they wrap up their video by saying what people are really going to need to ask themselves is what kind of internet they want or even really what kind of freedom they want or whether they want freedom. What they're facing in building a Patreon alternative, of course, is that they have to deal with PayPal and or the credit card companies. And both of these entities have shown that they will deplatform people for having unapproved opinions. So what can they do? So what Dave Rubin says is, well, step one is getting off Patreon. Rubin didn't quite put it this way, but Patreon needs to be punished in some way for acting like this. So step one is get off Patreon. So he says that at least removes one of the middlemen between the supporter and the content creator. It removes one of them. Doesn't remove them all because you still have to get the money to that content creator somehow. So I don't know exactly how they propose to solve that problem. But the fact 
that we have two prominent people who are very successful on this particular platform and who have a big, big microphone are sounding the alarm even before anything happens to them. They're not sounding the alarm because they were kicked off Patreon. They weren't. They're sounding the alarm even before anything happens to them. And who knows, maybe nothing would have happened to them. But they're doing this because they believe it's the right thing. For them to be out there talking about this and proposing a solution or or telling us that they're working on one, I think is a very good omen. That means that things are actually moving faster in in the right direction than I thought they would. Now, I can imagine that a lot of my cryptocurrency folks are listening to this and they're shouting Bitcoin or crypto at their speakers because people have proposed that cryptocurrency is the solution to this problem. You don't have to worry about MasterCard or PayPal and you don't have to worry about somebody shutting you down because there is no somebody. So it's an interesting way to look at this question. And of course, we should remember episode 1305, which was not that long ago with Naomi Brockwell on the subject of Bitbacker.io, which is trying to do, I mean, it's still, I think, being developed, but you can start using it immediately. Bitbacker.io is trying to do what Patreon does, but with cryptocurrency as its basis. And that also is to be looked at. But given that as much as people may want to see more of the public branch into crypto themselves, the fact is very few people have, relatively speaking. And we would ideally not want to limit a Patreon alternative or any other social media alternative to the sliver of people who are in crypto. It could help to grow the people in crypto, but this problem needs to be attacked from all different angles. So we'll have to see what can be done, but this is a good thing. This is a happy note on which to begin 2019. Now let's get into something distinctly unhappy, and that involves war, although actually it's not really bad news. I mean, discussing war is never fun, but even here the news is sort of good. There's a very good column by Pat Buchanan called How the War Party Lost the Middle East. How can you not be happy when you read a headline like that? We all know partly because we've talked about it on this here program with Scott Horton in a recent episode. I forget which number it was. Why don't I check? I'm sitting here at a computer, right? What episode did I discuss the Syria withdrawal with Scott Horton? That was 1309, just two episodes ago, uh, before my little Christmas break. Obviously, that's the issue that is uh, motivating a column like this, but there's a lot more to be said here. And what Pat is doing is just doing a newspaper column size review of the war on terror policy of the past, well, I guess at this point, later this year, it'll be 18 years we're talking about. And he's just trying to look at what the ledger says when we look at all the different countries and the cost and benefit columns. And he notes that Barack Obama back in 2011, said the future of Syria must be determined by its people. But he went on to say that President Assad was standing in their way, and the time has come for President Assad to step aside. Well, Barack Obama has since uh, stepped aside because his second term ran out, but there's Assad still sitting there. Meanwhile, seven years have passed, another half million dead Syrians. And what is the result? What do we have to show for ourselves here? Lindsey Graham says we can't leave now because then the Kurds are going to get slaughtered. And Pat says, well, let's go back and ask a more fundamental question here. 
Who plunged us into a Syrian civil war and so managed our intervention that were we to go home after seven years, our enemies will be victorious and our allies will, quote, get slaughtered? Who's doing this? This is not a good record. Well, how about Afghanistan? So 17 years ago, roughly, the U.S. invaded Afghanistan. It was going to get rid of the Taliban, get rid of that regime as punishment for having given sanctuary to Osama bin Laden and his people. Today, peace talks are being negotiated with whom? The Taliban. And we also read in the Washington Post that the remnants of al-Qaeda work closely with today's Taliban. So this is the result of 17 years of war in Afghanistan. And as Pat says, 17 years of war have left us with these alternatives. Either stay there and fight a forever war to keep the Taliban out of Kabul, or withdraw and let the Taliban overrun the place. Who got us into this debacle? So in other words, we shouldn't be focused on people who want to get us out of it. We should be asking, who on earth got us into a situation like this and managed it so badly that these are the options we face today? All right, more to talk about in just a minute, but before I do that, I want to help you keep one of your New Year's resolutions. And I know for some of you, it's to get ahead at work, it's to learn some new skill, it's to start that new business, whatever. The best way to do that is through Skillshare, and I've got an even better offer for you than the amazing one I offered to you all through 2018. Skillshare is like Netflix for online learning. You pay one fee, and you get access to, well, everything. 25,000 classes in design, business, and more. If you want to learn social media marketing or mobile photography or creative writing or even illustration, Skillshare is going to have a course for you. My own daughters have now started using Skillshare because they have hobbies where Skillshare has courses. Well, here's the deal. You can join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right, Skillshare is offering Tom Wood Show listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash WoodsFree. If you want to get it for free, it's got to be that link. Skillshare.com slash WoodsFree is where you can start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash WoodsFree. Keep that New Year's resolution. All right, so now we got to talk about Yemen. We all know what a disaster that is. For three years, the U.S. has supported and connived at what the Saudis have been up to in Yemen, which has turned out to be what Pat describes as one of the worst humanitarian disasters of the 21st century. I wonder if we have to say one of. It's horrible. Now, we are finally seeing some movement in Congress to try to cut off support for that war. But again, what are we doing in this war? Who decided it was a good idea to get the U.S. involved in it. And what has being involved in it for years of killing and horrors, what has that done to make America safer? Can you even say that with a straight face? Being involved in Yemen and engaged in in these atrocities has made America safer. Then, of course, the classic case is Libya, which should be the albatross forever around the neck of Hillary Clinton. So the Libyan conflict, it was... Barack Obama said in 2016 that not really preparing for a Libya after the killing of Muammar Gaddafi was probably, in his words, the worst mistake 
the worst mistake of his presidency. So tens of thousands of dead people, one result. The oil industry, which has been crucial to the economic health of Libya, is a pale imitation of what it once was. So another disaster. Then we look at it collectively. Collectively, what we've had, and here's from the Buchanan column, it just sums it all up. For the United States, we've got 7,000 dead, 40,000 wounded, trillions of dollars spent on heaven knows what. For the Arab and Muslim world, the costs have been enormously greater. So in Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, Yemen, and Libya, we're talking hundreds of thousands dead, pogroms against Christians, massacres, and millions uprooted and driven from their homes. And then the question, how? How in heaven's name has all this invading, bombing, and killing made the Middle East a better place or Americans more secure? Are we still trying to claim that? And interestingly enough, in mid-2018, there was a poll taken of young people in the Middle East and North Africa, and apparently more of them think of Russia as a close partner than the United States. So that's made America more secure? That? And then finally, Pat says, let's consider further fruits of American intervention. We're told ISIS is not dead but alive in the hearts of tens of thousands of Muslims, that if we leave Syria and Afghanistan, our enemies will take over and our friends will be massacred, and that if we stop helping the Saudis in Yemen, this will be a victory for Iran. What kind of a world is this? How did we get in a position where these are the choices? And then Pat quotes from the New York Times where they said uh, just in past few days, they wrote, as these leaders pass from the scene, talking about major figures of foreign policy, it will be left to a new generation to find a way forward from the wreckage Mr. Trump has already created. Mr. Trump created the wreckage? Now, there's plenty of things Trump has done wrong in foreign policy, but Shouldn't we instead say the wreckage Trump inherited? Trump inherited a real disaster from the foreign policy establishment. I might also add that Trump has had some pretty good tweets on foreign policy, that it's time for the U.S. to stop being the world's policeman, to be fighting all these wars and spending all this money, and the results are abysmal. Why on earth would we continue doing it? That's the kind of businessman mentality I wanted him to have is the why are we continuing to do something that not only generates no results, but generates negative results? Why are we continuing to do this? I expect the political class to go full steam ahead on things that don't work. That's what they're there for. I may have told the story before, but I was telling the students back when I was a college professor about the record of the Job Corps, which has a terrible record of getting people trained for jobs and placed in jobs they were trained for at wages higher than they could have gotten even without bothering to attend the Job Corps. The record is abysmal. And I had a student say, well, then why do we still have the program? And I thought, how sweetly naive, because politicians benefit by it. And they point to it and they say, look, I'm helping to create jobs. They figure no one's going to bother looking up the reality of the situation. And indeed, nobody does. But that's exactly what we expect politicians to do. But especially with the, the foreign policy establishment, I mean, there, this transcends party lines. Democrats and Republicans alike share uh, an overwhelming amount in common when it comes to foreign policy, not to mention the talk show hosts on pretty much all sides. The major newspapers are in lockstep on foreign policy to the point where it's almost impossible for them to write an article that isn't really just propaganda. 
So given all this, for Trump to be saying this is dumb and we shouldn't be doing it is very important. That's very important because nobody else of any prominence is saying that in a way that, uh, you know, we're, I mean, Trump has the bully pulpit that nobody else has. Well, we can all say these things, but he's the president of the United States, and it means something when he speaks this way. And he's saying this even though he is surrounded through his own fault, of course, by people who want to slit his throat for taking this position. And the neocons are attacking him. The Hollywood left, the flower children of the 60s are attacking him. The left liberals are attacking him. He has almost no friends on this issue, almost none at all. He's carrying forward with it because he just happens to think it's the right thing to do. This is amazing. Now, as I say, I think he's been wrong on really important questions of foreign policy. But on this, well, how can you not cheer? I'm certainly cheering. Scott Horton is cheering. Scott Horton ain't no um, Trump lackey by any means, but he certainly knows a good thing when he sees it. And it was interesting to see Thad Russell, Thaddeus Russell on Twitter, retweeting Trump. And, and Thad Russell is also not a Trump guy, if you know anything about him. But retweeting Trump on foreign policy, saying, this is the best statement by any president in my lifetime. I think it was something like that, or it could have been even longer than Thad's lifetime, but it was something like that. That's really, really uh, an incredible development, but it also tells us so, so much about the left and how few of them are really anti-war. There are some heroic ones, I will admit that, but it tells us an awful lot that these Hollywood people who pretended to be all tears and pity for victims of American bombing, when push comes to shove, this, this means nothing to them. And it's what's also interesting to me from a libertarian perspective is how many libertarians seem totally bored by this issue. I don't get it. There are some who, in particular, some who don't care for your host here. It's hard to believe there'd be people who don't care for your host here, right? A genial guy like me. But these are people who they can't say enough about how they want to abolish this or that agency related to immigration. We got to abolish this and that which, you know, enforces immigration law and keeps some people who would want to enter the country from entering the country. It does do that. But generally speaking, it doesn't murder them, or that's not at least the stated intent. Yet the, the U.S. war machine does do that and has been doing an awful lot of that. And yet it's like they're yawning. It's like this interests them not at all. So seriously inconveniencing people of color. Now this they're going to go to the barricades over. But murdering them, well, you know, we don't want to be in with those anti-war kooks over there, so let's just be on this more fashionable issue. I don't get that. I don't get that. If you can't be on fire for the war issue, then I, don't, I just don't get you. I don't get how you're calling yourself a libertarian. That's got to be front and center of everything. Now, what I'm going to do on the show notes page, tomwoods.com slash 1311, I'm going to link to the video that I mentioned featuring Jordan Peterson and Dave Rubin. I'm going to link to the Pat Buchanan article that I referred to in this episode. And if I have a good enough memory, I will also link to something that I started telling you folks about at the end of last year, 2018. And that is that one of the things that I do that has really been very good for me and I think has helped a lot of people is that I've created, as you know, I uh, rarely tire of mentioning it. I've created a lot of online courses 
And uh, I now have friends who are starting to do the same thing. And that is a nice little side hustle for yourself. Because if you've ever thought about doing it, you may have been put off by thinking, oh, it's got to be like 47 modules with 12 videos in each one. It doesn't. An online course can be an hour. It can be less than an hour. Broken up into three or four videos or one video or just a report or whatever. You can deliver it in all different ways. But it's a very, very low-pressure easy way to start making your presence felt and to have something that can be sold. It can generate uh, an income for you. And I'm starting to see more libertarians doing this, and I am cheering. I mean, Brian McClanahan has his McClanahan Academy now, but you don't have to teach just history and topics like that like I teach. You can teach people how to use such and such platform, or you can teach them some little kitchen skill or whatever, and people will take that course and there are platforms on which you can sell the course with minimal marketing because the, the people are already on the platform anyway. So it's very much worth looking into. And as your New Year's resolution, uh, you should be thinking in this way. What am I going to do in 2019 to build up something for myself on the side? Because that has been one of my little pet projects that I've been emphasizing to people. You're never going to regret having that. And it's not difficult to do. And it's even less difficult to do because – Given that I do have some experience with this, I assembled a report for you that explains how to do it, and I've put together some video resources walking you through every single little step that you need to follow from not knowing what you're going to even teach about to having a completed course that is successfully making the rounds and getting in front of people and, and, and uh, you're getting a lot of eyeballs on it, taking you through all of that. That is all for free, costs you nothing. I would like to see more people do this. And in your heart of hearts, you probably know you should do this. To have some kind of flagship product where you can say, yes, I did this. This is who I am. This is what I'm capable of. And you can make a few smackers while you do it. So if you want to get that free stuff that I put together to show you how this all works, as I say, I do have some experience with this. Uh, you can do that over at tomwoods.com slash make courses. tomwoods.com slash make courses. All right. That is it for today, and I don't know what is coming tomorrow, but it will no doubt be delightful. So make sure you subscribe to The Tom Woods Show over on tomwoods.com slash iTunes, and I'll see you tomorrow. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit tomwoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.